0: This is Law Bites, a podcast with Michael Geist. Welcome to the year-end Law Bites podcast. I'm Michael Geist, and this episode offers the chance for a quick look back at 2021 and to offer some thoughts about what lies ahead for digital policy in Canada in 2022. Let me start by thanking Gerardo LeBron Leboy who continues to provide exceptional production assistance for this podcast, and to thank the amazing array of guests that joined me on the podcast this past year. This is the 40th new episode of the year, with guests ranging from senators, MPs, former CRTC commissioners and privacy commissioners, the former UN Special Rapporteur for Freedom of Expression, alongside academics and activists from across Canada and around the world. I'm grateful to all for taking the time to share their perspectives and knowledge on an equally wide range of issues. Internet regulation, privacy, copyright, digital tax, freedom of expression, access to medicines, crypto, and much more. We're all part of the agenda for 2021. Now, one year ago, as we looked ahead to this year, we likely would have focused on two bills that were before the House of Commons and one case that was set to be heard by the Supreme Court of Canada. The bills were C-10 and C-11, proposed reforms to the Broadcasting Act and reform to PEPIDA, the private sector privacy law. Now, neither bill became law, but they took dramatically different paths. To start with Bill C-11, it never went anywhere barely referenced in the House of Commons, never sent to committee, never receiving much of any political backing, particularly after the then responsible minister, Navdeep Baines left politics. As Open Media's Laura Tribe explained on this podcast, with criticism from seemingly all quarters, there simply wasn't much backing for the bill or a willingness to engage in the hard work to get it passed. Now, C-10 was obviously a different story. It was seemingly headed for a smooth ride through the parliamentary process until a remarkable own goal by the government. Caving to lobbying pressure, it decided to remove one of the safeguards for regulating user-generated content, and in doing so, first sparked, I think, awareness of the bill. It wasn't a well-known bill amongst the Canadian public, and soon after, widespread opposition. Now, the bill would ultimately pass in the House and die in the Senate. There were many episodes this year devoted to the issue, including an insider look from former MP Scott Sims, who chaired the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage, which is where much of the action around Bill C-10 went down. The Supreme Court of Canada case that I referenced a moment ago was the York University versus Access Copyright case copyright decision that marked yet another attempt to get Canada's highest court to reconsider its emphasis on user rights and the need for balance in copyright, including fair dealing. Now, a unanimous court would again affirm its position, ruling that the access copyright tariffs were not mandatory and raising serious doubts about the fair deal analysis that had come from this case in the lower courts. The decision is likely to spark yet again another round of renewed lobbying for copyright reform, but we've now got two decades of high court rulings that position Canada with a balanced view of copyright that accounts for the interests of all stakeholders and provides the foundation for new creativity and innovation. That doesn't mean there isn't room for more copyright reform. There certainly is. And I'll, I'll talk a bit more about a couple of areas that we might see some action in 2022. But the notion of revisiting some of the fundamental elements of copyright, including the role of fair dealing, at this stage really ought to be off the table. Now, there was obviously much more in 2021. These include some of the CRTC decisions on wireless and broadband, in which I think many were of the view that consumer and competition concerns seem to take a backseat to the positions that have come predominantly from the big three telecom companies in Canada. And I think for many have left them very discouraged about the state of regulation in Canada and the role that Canada's key regulator in the telecom space plays. And the online harms consultation was also a big part of this past year. It sparked criticism from across both the policy and political spectrum, and as we'll talk about in a few moments, is is undoubtedly going to be one of the big issues in 2022. There was also the ongoing debates over payments for links to media stories on social media platforms and search platforms like Facebook and Google. Digital tax issues, including applying HST or GST to digital sales, something that did take effect over the summer, as well as a DST, a digital services tax, that accelerated this past year and could lead to U.S. trade retaliation. There were patent issues, particularly involving access to and distribution of COVID vaccines, and discussion around some other copyright issues, such as the right to repair, as well as website blocking. All in all, a very busy and at times contentious year for digital policy. So what lies ahead in 2022 for digital policy? I thought I'd focus on five themes. The first, the shift away, or I suppose the continuing shift away from ISI or ISED or Department of Industry on digital policy. I think it's important to recognize for that the better part of two decades, really since the advent of, of internet policy in Canada, certainly in the mid-1990s, the lead department was the department first called industry, then ISED, and now ISI. There was a clear recognition that Internet policy and innovation-related issues, telecom-related issues, copyright, IP-related issues, all started at industry or at ISED. And so that's where the lead for these digital policies ought to be. Now, that has changed significantly in over the last couple of years. And while it used to be industry or ISI that was the lead, it's now abundantly clear that under this government internet or digital policy is led by the department of canadian heritage that's a shift a shift taking what was once innovation industrial policy into really cultural sovereignty heritage heritage type policy i said has really been relegated to i think largely being a bit player on many of these issues they still have responsibility for privacy but as i mentioned a bit earlier has not been one of the core issues for the government, at least not over the last couple of years from a reform perspective. It also certainly has carriage on telecom, and so a, a key lead there. But I think if we're fair about it, the, the current minister, Champagne, seems generally disinterested in these issues. I it think it's clear in the coming year the department is going to be forced to deal with some issues, most notably around the Rogers Shaw merger. But by and large, it's more responding to the lead of heritage as opposed to being the lead policy department. And that has, of course, enormous implications for some of the kinds of policies that this government has been developing on these issues. There is, and I'll come back to this in a moment, there is another department that I think is playing and is going to play an increasingly important role in digital policy. And that's in a sense, an amalgam of of international trade plus finance. These issues, I think, in the coming year and years ahead are increasingly going to play out in the trade realm. And I think there are some risks in terms of some of the approaches we've seen in Canada and that they are likely to escalate to trade disputes. And that will naturally enough bring in another department Uh, as the bilateral relationship with the United States in particular gets tested uh, through some of our digital policies. I'll return to that in just a moment. Um, But first, let me focus on really, I think, the the second theme, and that is that heritage is at the forefront domestically on digital policy. Now, there's obviously a, a copyright angle here, and so uh, heritage has long played a role in copyright, recognized as a, in a sense, a dual or shared role with, with Department of, of Industry. Um, but when it comes to internet policy and, and what is likely to dominate in the coming year, it really is heritage and three main files. We see this in the mandate letters that were just released to the various ministers. And, and these issues play a, an important part of the mandate letters that were provided, in particular in this case, to the new Heritage Minister Pablo Rodriguez. Uh, the first is the first of the three big issues that we're likely to see play out in the coming year is a revisiting of Bill C10. It's unlikely to be called Bill C10, it's likely to have a different number, but it is likely to be a pretty similar bill to what we saw last year. Now, in fact, how similar? or how different in terms of taking on board some of the criticism and concerns that were raised, I think will tell us a lot about the responsiveness of the government to some of these different perspectives on policy. Has the government largely made up its mind about these issues and the consultations and sort of feedback mechanisms that exist within the parliamentary process? Is that primarily theater? Or is that something that is genuinely taken on board and there is an effort to craft legislation that is responsive to those public concerns. I think we're going to find out quickly because when we get the new Broadcasting Act reform bill, if it is a carbon copy, so to speak, of C-10, sort of revisiting the same issues around the regulation of user-generated content around ill-defined or actually not at all defined Thresholds in terms of where the application of the bill starts or where it stops, if it continues to take an approach that presumes that it's Canadian law that applies to services anywhere in the world, uh, so long as they have some Canadian presence or some Canadian subscribers, you know, that very aggressive sort of Canadian regulatory approach. If it takes all of those sorts of approaches and just kind of, you know, brings it back again, runs runs back the same legislation. Uh, that sends a signal, I think, on some of the other issues that are out there. And I think suggests that we are likely to see this bill face some of the same kind of opposition. There are, I think, the votes in the House to get it passed. It's certainly what we learned within C-10. But during its brief stay in the Senate, we saw that there was a considerable amount of discomfort from senators from across the political spectrum. And so if it's the same bill without kind of hearings, without taking this on board, I think it faces a bit of a rough ride in the Senate. Now, secondly, there is the issue of payments for uh, media stories or linking to media stories on social media. This is an issue that the, the government has been talking about for some time. As it's talked, the reality in Canada is that just about every major media organization, with the exception of Post Media, has actually signed agreements with the uh, large players, notably with Facebook or Google. And so the market actually suggests that there is an ability to address this issue, that there is a willingness to enter into agreements where there's value add provided by the media companies and the large platforms are willing to pay for that, though they are not, for the most part, willing to pay for simply linking to content links that are often put on the platforms by the media companies themselves. Now, despite that progress in the private sector within the market itself, the government signaled, especially in the most recent mandate letter, that it wants to move ahead and in particular seems to have made up its mind moving ahead with an Australian Model that, you know, represents a country with a pretty different media environment, given the dominant role of Rupert Murdoch and a pretty different government as well. But nevertheless, uh, there is a seemingly a decision has been made, and this will be an interesting issue to see how it plays out throughout 2022. Uh, there's there's certainly isn't a whole lot of support for the big platforms. Um, But at the same time, some of the new innovative digital first media organizations have expressed their concern with government intervention, fearing that this approach will help some of the legacy or incumbent players, but not really assist in the kind of transformation that many see taking place within the online media space. So the third issue, and the one that I think up until the release of the mandate letters, most would have expected to be really in some ways the dominant policy issue in the coming year is online harms, which really captures a pretty wide range of internet regulation issues from the regulation of platforms to addressing a wide range of different kinds of speech issues to uh, where the role of the government, the role of potential regulators uh, and the like. And yet the online consultation that I referenced a bit earlier, quite clearly attracted criticism from, from many, many groups. And so they're is I think notably a recognition from the government. We can read into the mandate letter, a recognition from the government that the consultation and the proposed plan really did land with a proverbial thud, that it that this has sparked significant criticism that ought to be accounted for. And so while the platform, the election platform that the Liberals released over the summer suggested that they would seek to bring forward legislation within the first 100 days, that aspect of the sort of the timeline for online harms appears to have been abandoned for the moment. The mandate letter to Minister Rodriguez talks about continuing to work on this issue with some other ministers and to take into account the results of the consultation, which I think is a signal that the government recognizes that there are very real concerns with what those plans were and that there is a need to revisit and reconsider many of those proposed approaches. So while I think that will remain one of the the most important issues that is focused on in the coming year, at least in the first half of the year, it seems less likely that we'll see legislation introduced. Certainly not. It will certainly not be, I don't think, one of the very first bills that gets introduced by this minister. That is likely to be more the the revisiting of C-10 plus the media-related issue in terms of linking. The third Issue that I thought I wanted to highlight was, in a sense, just uh, to note that there will be a need, I think, in the coming year to look to the fine print. That some of the reforms that we get uh, are likely to come not in big heralded pieces of legislation, but rather, oftentimes, probably buried within omnibus bills, particularly budget implementation bills. Now, that's an approach that we see on a lot of different policy issues and. Started with the conservatives, it's been, it's continued on with the, this current liberal government, and it seems to me that there are several issues that could find their way into something like a budget or implementation act. At the very top of the list is copyright term extension. Now, as I'll reference in a moment, that may not happen, but if the government does move ahead with term extension, something that is contained in the USMCA, the trade agreement with the United States and Mexico, I don't know that we'll see a specific bill devoted to the issue of copyright term extension or even a wholesale reform of the Copyright Act. It's entirely possible that. The reforms that are needed are simply included in a larger legislative package. Now, the approach that the government takes remains to be seen. Last year, they conducted a whole series of copyright consultations, including one on how best to implement term extension. So we don't know whether it will happen due to some recent trade tensions. And if it does, how it will happen. There were certainly signals that the government or at least the permanent Canadian heritage was not supportive of a recommendation from the copyright review that suggested that there should be a registration requirement. We'll see what the results of the consultation and then the chance to rethink that, whether or not the government moves in that direction. And if they don't, what steps they do take to try to mitigate what I think is now widely recognized as both a concession to the United States, not something that Canada wanted to see. In fact, the Canadian government has now been explicit in recognizing term extension as as not being something that it wanted, but rather something that it provided to the United States as part of the bargaining that takes place in a trade agreement. And as I think many economists, copyright experts have recognized, not something that's in our interest from a copyright perspective either. And so we'll see how some of the harm that is likely to come from term extension will be mitigated. There are also, and it's found in some of the mandate letters, at least a couple of issues that were highlighted for copyright reform. The prospect of an artist's resale right, as well as a consumer right to repair. Whether we see, again, a larger copyright package or we see both of those issues addressed in in a budget bill or as part of some broader legislative initiative, I suppose, remains to be seen. Fourth, I think we need to pay attention to the various regulators that play a pretty big role, needless to say, when it comes to some of these issues, because there's some big things likely to happen in the coming year. At the CRTC, there's, of course, the decision that will come on the Rogers-Shaw merger. There's potential regulation that comes out of whatever comes out of the new Bill C-10 process. There's a series of other cases or hearings that have been ongoing involving competition-related issues. And then on top of all of that, there is the likelihood of a new CRTC chair. The current chair, uh, Ian Scott's term, comes to an end in this coming year. And so we'll see if the government introduces a new chair and does so in a timely manner. At times, they've struggled to come up with someone in in a timely fashion, but we'll see. In this case, it's certainly possible this much-coveted-for-some-position um, will be filled with a uh, new occupant in the chair's position sometime in 2022. The same may be true at the Privacy Commissioner's Office, who has been left to wait for legislative reform, to criticize at times some of the legislative proposals. The current commissioner, Tarian, was certainly critical of Bill C-11, which may have contributed to its demise. Uh, but there is also the real possibility that we'll see a new privacy commissioner. Tarian was given in an extra year, but it may well be that we see a new occupant in that role as well in 2022. And thirdly, there is the role of the Competition Bureau, which certainly will play a role as part of the Roger Shaw merger, but has also been speaking increasingly vocally about its role in the digital economy more broadly. That's an area where there is, I think, the view of many that there's a need for a more aggressive approach when it comes to some of the competition-related concerns that come out of the digital economy and the very large role that's played by some of the big internet platforms. The the Bureau has sort of expressed at times interest in some of these issues and put out a number of different either decisions or papers, but a more aggressive approach around the digital economy, I think, in the view of many, is, is long overdue. And finally, my fifth and final theme that I've hinted at a little bit from some of these remarks is that I think Canada is headed for a showdown with the United States on many of these issues. Trade hasn't figured prominently, or trade policy hasn't figured prominently when it comes to some of digital policy, at least not yet, but it has long lingered in the background whether by way of our trade agreements through the USMCA or commitments more broadly at different organizations, including now the OECD. And some of the policy approaches that we've seen the government talk about really puts us on, I think, a collision course with the United States. And in recent days and weeks, it's pretty clear that the U.S., is quite prepared to push back on some of those proposals leading to, I think the very real prospect that digital policy gets elevated to a major trade irritant, much the same way that the dairy industry or steel and automotive and lumber long, some of the core, the core areas where we, we seem to, get into real contentious battles with the United States uh, from trade policy perspective, it seems to me digital policy is very much heading in that direction. We saw it, for example, with respect to copyright term extension, where the government has expressed concern about a US proposal around tax credits for electric vehicles and has raised the possibility of a response, including delaying implementation of some of the IP provisions in the USMCA. And It's pretty clear that what they're talking about is copyright term extension. There's also the issue of digital tax. And so on that front, there was in the past year an agreement at the OECD to develop a global standard around the so-called digital services tax, the attempt to ensure that all large multinationals, particularly some of the tech companies, pay their fair share, particularly for revenues that are generated from things like online advertising or from user data. Now, the Canadian government's previous approach was to say we would prefer an international agreement, but if there isn't one, we're prepared to go it alone, knowing that other countries that have gone it alone, such as France, have faced real threats of retaliation by the United States. But once the, there was an agreement at the OECD back in October, part of that agreement was an agreement of all the countries on a moratorium so that of further digital services taxes. So all the countries agreed that they wouldn't move forward with any of these new proposals, given that there was an international agreement that is scheduled to take effect over the next couple of years. And yet, despite the moratorium, despite the agreement at the OECD, over the, the past week, the finance minister, Krista Freeland, introduced, the digi- introduced plans, introduced the Digital Services Tax Act, saying that Canada would move ahead notwithstanding the moratorium with legislative reform that would be would take effect in 2024 if the OECD agreement isn't in full effect and would be retroactive which means that companies of 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 all sorts not just the large US tech companies but also large retailers potentially the bay or walmart and a range of other companies that may also get captured by the current legislative plans, have to start at least accounting for some of this, starting now, effectively starting in 2022. Now, the U.S. is clearly opposed to this. It didn't take more than 24 hours before the USTR, or the U.S. Trade Representative's Office, responded that it would consider retaliation if Canada moves ahead with this. We've had U.S. members of Congress that have even tweeted out that they've raised this issue directly with the prime minister. And so it's pretty clear that the U.S. Is, is not prepared simply to sit back. And if Canada moves forward outside of this international agreement, which, of course, raises the very real possibility of significant tariff retaliation on everything from dairy to lumber to steel, some of Canada's sensitive trade areas potentially running into the billions of dollars, this is could become a very serious major uh, trade issue, one in which The gains that Canada might otherwise make through this new tax model are offset by new tariffs on some of the other areas of Canada's economy, areas that tend to be a bit more sensitive. Now, those are the the two areas that are the most obvious ones for a potential showdown, copyright term extension and, and these digital taxes. But I don't think they're the only ones. I think the prospect of media payments uh, raises real possibilities, especially the extent to which that they target specifically US platforms and don't really implicate anybody else. The same is true, I think, for sort of the C10 type broadcast regulation. If this ends up targeting or capturing not just a few large streaming services coming out of the United States, but effectively includes as well. A myriad of other services, the exercise apps, the uh, digital media services, services that were in a memo that was prepared within the Department of Canadian Heritage, recognized as being part of what C-10 would cover. It seems to me pretty likely that there will be opposition. It simply is implausible that a Canadian rule that would capture potentially hundreds or thousands of U.S.-based services... Requiring them to submit confidential data to a Canadian regulator to potentially pay into a Canadian system would simply uh, go through without any response from the United States, particularly with the USMCA in place. And USMCA also, I think, plays a potential role with, with respect to some of the online harms. Canada agreed to provisions in the USMCA that look very similar to what's known as the CDA Section 230 sub C rules in the United States that create a safe harbor for large platforms. If Canada veers away from that into legislation that creates new liability for those platforms, it's also quite possible that we'll see the U.S. respond there. So when we take a look at just about all the core Canadian digital policy issues, the the ones that have been escalated as, as the top priorities they all hold the possibility of butting up against U.S. policy, whether from provisions that are found in the USMCA or from other international agreements, uh, or simply ones that the U.S. would take the approach are singling them out in a discriminatory, or their companies out in a discriminatory fashion and is likely to result in some sort of response. And so it seems to me that in some ways, when we look at Canadian digital policy right now, there's a two-step process unfolding. There's the domestic process, as I say, led now by Heritage on, on many of these core issues. And once Canada settles on something, or even as it tries to settle on something, there is the response that we get from our trading partners, most notably the United States, that may well use some of its power and relying on some of the trade provisions that we've already agreed to, to push back and threaten Real world consequences that could run into the billions of dollars uh, based on where Canada lands on some of these policy issues. And so there is clearly never a dull moment when it comes to digital policy. And and 2022 looks to be, I think, a, a really interesting, exciting, and potentially controversial year as well. I'll be back in January with more episodes of this podcast alongside the regular posts on my blog. Wish everyone a happy holidays, stay safe, and see you next year. That's the Law Bites podcast for this week. If you have comments, suggestions, or other feedback, write to lawbites at p.o.box.com. Follow the podcast on Twitter at lawbitespod or Michael Geist at mgeist. You can download the latest episodes from my website at michaelgeist.ca or subscribe via RSS, at Apple Podcast, Google, or Spotify. The Law podcast is produced by Gerardo LeBron LeBoy. Music by the LeBoy brothers, Gerardo and Jose LeBron LeBoy. Credit information for the clips featured in this podcast can be found in the show notes for this episode at michaelgeist.ca. I'm Michael Geist. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.